Hey, this is Aaron Carnes. We started this podcast in 2021 to promote my book, In Defense of Ska. Since then, the podcast has grown into its own thing. I've been working on an expanded second edition. I interviewed new people, edited every chapter, and there's a new final chapter, 30,000 new words. The expanded second edition of In Defense of Ska will be released on October 29th, 2024. Can you do something for me? Pre-order it right now at clashbooks.com under the books tab. The more copies it sells in advance, the more it'll get people to support ska music. Thanks. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, Ska was back. Or so several publications proclaimed thanks to Jeff Rosenstock reimagining his No Dream album as an all-ska record called Ska Dream. Many of us in the ska scene hoped that these same publications praising Ska Dream would give some of the lesser-known bands a shot. That didn't happen. Except for Anthony Fantano, who did post a review of Catbite's Nice One on his YouTube channel, The Needle Drop. He loved Ska Dream, even said it was better than No Dream. Then he interviewed me after I released In Defense of Ska. During that interview, he made it clear that he attended several Ska shows back in the day. So I knew there would be a lot to talk about. I never thought that we would end up talking to somebody like Anthony Fantano. One, because I, I wasn't sure that we would ever get to interview like, you know, a music critic or a music reviewer. And especially somebody that has such a large following on on YouTube. Yeah, we've never done a, we've never interviewed a music critic before, have we? We have not. Interesting. Yeah, I like I like that we uh, we take uh, the ska like we take different angles of of ska and culture, and this was a different one for us. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of tangential connections between people and their connection to ska, and uh, it was interesting to think of uh, a young Anthony at a ska show in his formative years. So his perspective is interesting because, yeah, he he went to ska shows when he was younger, but he also like has this experience reviewing and critiquing music and looking at it from a this other point of view. And he, he got in this long conversation about the algorithms that was very interesting, but also like a little upsetting <laughs> to me a little bit. Yeah. You know, he's just saying how it is, you know, and it's just kind of sucks the way it is. Yeah, it's easy to get a viewpoint of the music that you like and be looking at it up so close that you forget that there's a whole larger world that you're not focusing on. And then when you try to focus on that larger world, it can be very overwhelming, especially when you're thinking about how things are throttled or pushed by an algorithm. I really like that he seems to he seems to operate like his decisions he makes seem to be he doesn't always go with the flow of what other critics and what other um, publications are doing. Like he's very much his own person. And I really appreciate that about him. I like knowing that, you know, the, the metric that is being measured for, for music is uh, enjoyment. It's not about um, a trend or, or uh, some, some outside uh, 
thing that that's coloring this. It's just about how the music hits your ears. I want to start by talking about the 10th best album of 2021. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Ska Dream. You like Ska Dream better than No Dream, right? Yeah, I, I kind of do. I kind of do like it better than No Dream. Yeah, I do. I, I'm, I may be, you know, in the minority on that, but um, I, yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, we went from a, a decent eight for uh, No Dream to a strong eight for Ska Dream. Yeah. What, what, what was it about Ska Dream you think maybe edged out No Dream more? You know, obviously it's, it's the same songs. So, you know, it's, it's still the same great songs on the record at the end of the day. But, um, it, you know, and, and again, I really do love No Dream, but there are some points of the record. And, and I believe I even noted this in my original review that are just like so damn pummeling. You know what I mean? Um, to the point where it's like there's not a whole lot of breathing room in the mix. You know what I mean? Um, whereas like that was not really an issue on ska dream at all. It's like, you know, it was really kind of the rhythm guitars and the grooves kind of taking a precedent over kind of the volume of the riffs. And, um, you know, as, as a result, it just was kind of a, a, a funkier album that just had a, I, th I think a stronger kind of rhythm section to it. Um, you know, between those rhythm guitars and between the drums and between the bass lines too. Um, you know, and, and and I guess overall, I was just really re-impressed with the uh, or impressed with the uh, instrumental kind of reinvention of the the record too. Yeah, it ends up being like one of his most diverse records. Yeah, because because he covers so many different bases of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and dynamically and like stylistically, it just becomes like super diverse. It kind of reminds me of like like he was doing bomb the music industry, but as an like as a, an adult with a lot more skills and a lot you know better sense of how to do it sure sure when you did the original review of no dream mike you commented a lot on how like dark the lyrics got at times and even uh wondered about <laughs> the state of his mental health and stuff um how did those same lyrics uh hit you in the ska dream context i mean i guess maybe the impact wasn't as large given that it's my second time around hearing them you know what i mean but um, it, it certainly does kind of create sort of a bittersweet mixture hearing <laughs> all that upbeat Scott instrumentation with the uh, with with the same uh, with the same songwriting style, yeah, with the, with the same songwriting with the same lyrics. Let's float a theory here. Did you potentially inspire this record? Because at the end of the No Dream review, you state that um, one of the things that you felt like the album needed was a little bit more changing up. A little bit more diversity in it <laughs> well there was actually um I, I actually did an interview with jeff where you know shortly after the 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 no dream thing um you know the the review and everything i actually it may have been sort of the following year but it was like well before there would like you know ska dream conceptually was even announced or you know like even a thought in anybody's head yeah. Uh, because if, if you remember when Jeff originally announced it, I think a lot of people just thought it was like a joke, you know, like just thought it was like just kind of a meme or something that it wasn't really going to be a thing. Um, and in the interview, you know, we do talk about like ska for a little bit and, you know, we get kind of nostalgic about it. And we talk about, you know, just like um, him kind of bringing it back in a way or like, do you think it could come back or, you know, have like another resurgence or something? And um you know, from there, like, I don't know, like it, it was kind of a cool conversation, but like, 
uh, if, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, like that interview occurred before like Scott dream was even a thing. Right. Yeah. It was in like the summer of 2020 when you did that interview. Right. Exactly. So, you know, uh, um, sorry, I'm just like, you know, trying to keep the timeline straight in my head. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, we were talking about like Scott and, uh, sort of our nostalgia for that and sort of, you know, just like a lot of underground rock from the two thousands, because, you know, Jeff, Jeff strikes me as being someone who's around the same age as me, somebody who probably went to a lot of VFW shows, <laughs> like that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, uh and, you know, it has played quite a few of those shows himself, obviously. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, but, uh, at the moment, I don't know if that was already like something he was planning or wanted to do, but, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, but for sure, you know, I was talking about kind of the, you know, the, uh, I wish for a little more versatility and then later <laughs> catching up with Jeff about just kind of ska music and a lot of different stuff in general. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I planted the seed for anything, but it is, uh, definitely like, uh, I, I like to think of it more as maybe he was kind of just kind of keeping it close to the chest and not really revealing too much. I, I don't think he was thinking about Scott dream in any realistic way at that point. I think that came in the um, closer to the end of 2020. Really? So, so that's, that's a pretty, uh, I mean, I, I guess by that point, like songs are all written, you know, a, a, a lot of the conceptual backing bone for the record is, uh, pretty much done but still that's that's an impressive amount of time to do an do an entire instrumental rework of your record especially considering how good that one came out what what was your take when he did the the april fool's post did you think it was a joke or you're like oh here it comes you know honestly like it it like it was such a a niche joke at the time like i don't even think it got to me <laughs> oh really <laughs> when when people started like talking about um you know the record when it came out and people were kind of notifying me like anthony anthony jeff just like surprise dropped an album and i was like what is it he says it's just no dream but it's ska he announced it like you know on april fools and everyone thought it was a joke and now it's like actually here for real and I was like, holy crap, what? And, you know, I just thought going into it, it was just going to be kind of like a silly sort of tongue in cheek thing. Um, it, you know, but uh, but no, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, I, I think he killed it. I love that he the joke was that to make you think it was a joke by uh, doing the way he posted it and then doing the punny titles. But then the real joke is that it's good. Right. <laughs> right. No, exactly. I think in, in speaking to. um the the change in the uh the score i mean i think a lot of bands if they could go back and redo an album they're they're gonna fix things they didn't like about it the first time around i mean there's uh, there's probably other instances in which that's happened i you know there's not too many i can think of off the top of my head mm -hmm. you know i mean there's obviously like taylor swift recording all of her stuff recently um, right but you know i'm trying to think of like uh oh I, I believe like you know phil elvram has done some stuff like that here and there like re-recording stuff there's like a little ep that i believe he did back in the day where he was like doing some songs or re-recording some songs but like in a like in a hardcore sort of like metallic hardcore kind of style which i thought came out pretty good but i'm you know it's not not too many yeah sort of like instances of that that i could think of i mean they're out there 
someone does like a hip hop version of a song that people are familiar with uh, that that they've you know that's in their back catalog something like that where would you put Scott dream in sort of the um jeff rosenstock catalog of of music where would you kind of rank it yeah i mean as as far as like his solo stuff i i think it's uh one of his best records you know um and yeah i do like it more than than no dream but uh not significantly you know i mean i think it's just kind of a a slight if if it is an improvement it's a slight improvement i mean you know i i sort of boil my uh, uh the score increase maybe down more to preference uh than anything um but uh you know i think uh, uh it's just as great as anything else he's put out you know i love uh no dream obviously i love uh worry i love uh we cool um the only solo record he's put out um uh that uh you know, I'm not super crazy about is just post, you know, if I remember correctly. And, um, you know, obviously it calls back to a bomb the music industry stuff, like you said earlier, but like the amount of songwriting and production skill that Jeff is showcasing at this leg of his career, you know, it's like, you, you can't, you know, it, it, it almost like doesn't compare, you know, because like, even though, um, it does kind of recapture that youthful fun. There is sort of a certain level of songwriting maturity and experience that like that, that he has on this record that I think is unique to this leg of his discography, the solo leg of his discography. Did you have um, a connection to the bomb, the music industry or uh, arrogant sons of bitches stuff when it came out? I mean, not really. It's, it's stuff that um, I, I think like when I first started reviewing um, I had heard some records on the tail end of the band's discography. Um, but I, I, I think, uh, I probably heard more about them after they were already kind of kaput. Um, but I, you know, I, I was, uh, I was, I was there right up front and center the moment I heard, uh, you know, Jeff's first, uh, kind of like a solo single off of, uh, you know, we cool. And, um, you know, your first single off of We Cool and, uh, you know, thought it was just like a great song all around. You know, I just loved the hilarious tongue and cheek, tongue and cheek tragedy of it. Um, and just, you know, sort of like the, the piano licks on the song as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't have said I was like super, uh, uh, deep into the bottom of the music industry catalog now. Got it. Yeah, no dream hit me kind of weird. Like when I, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jeff's and, um, you know, particularly his solo stuff. But, um, like when I heard no dream, like kind of the, what you're talking about, like it's so dissonant and so unrelenting. Like I would kind of listen to it, but then I would kind of be like, uh, oh, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> it's like a little too much. Yeah. But then the second I heard Scott Dream, I loved it so much. And then that kind of enabled me to re listen to no dream and, and with with fresh ears and appreciate no dream you know for for what it was yeah i mean you know you you got to give the record i guess like credit for sounding as hellish as the stuff that inspired the record you know what i mean <laughs> i also got the impression that you kind of, so on one hand you kind of related to where he was coming from on no dream but then i think maybe some of it you felt like maybe you didn't weren't like you weren't totally on board with him or didn't totally relate to on a personal level I mean, maybe, you know, personally, I, I, I think kind of re- relating to things, if, if you can relate to something in a song, I think that's great. 
but I, I think that's almost like a cop-out reason to like or even dislike a song, honestly. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, some of my favorite music of all time, I don't really relate to the experience that the artist may be singing about. And and, and frankly, I think that's kind of the um, the at least one of the points of kind of the artistic endeavor in general to be able to communicate experiences to people that, you know, be it because of the limitations of speech or just the inability to communicate them by the artist through any other means. Um, you, you sort of help the audience or anybody experiencing the thing you're creating understand the experience that you're putting to the medium you're creating with. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff I don't, you know, super directly relate to in a lot of my favorite artists music, but, um, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that, um, you know, I, I can't get some kind of emotional value out of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm totally with you on that. I, I feel the same way. Some of the music I like best, I feel like it has to do with the fact that they're communicating something that's personal to them and I can feel their emotion about it. And I could, it makes me feel something, even though it's not my experience. Sure. I've seen you, I've seen you kind of have that discussion with people online. And I, I like that you sort of, um, I like that you defend that position that personal experience doesn't, isn't the end all be all for reviewing music. Yeah. You know, I don't think so. And, and look, I mean, I, I think personal experience is valid and I think it's a vehicle for understanding a piece of art. And I think it's, you know, it could be part of a way to get on, get in on music discussion and it can be a way to enjoy or, um, you know, get something personal out of a, out of a piece of art, but it's not the only way, you know, it's, it's not the only way, you know, the, th the thing is like, if, if, if we all sort of like held to this hard line that like you can only listen to, or you can only like, you know, <laughs> enjoy or, support or review music that you directly relate to. And, and that was like across the board true for all of us. Like, you know, the, the, I, I think everybody would quickly find the amount of records that we all have access to listen to would be pretty fucking thin. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your, um, your rating criteria then, since we're kind of talking about that. Um, like for instance, we're talking about the difference between a decent eight and a strong eight. Do you kind of have, specific things that you bring to review or is it just a gut thing? I, I wouldn't say there's like a set list or anything of like, you know, check boxes that need to be met in order for an album to, you know, be in uh, to, to receive a super high score, even like, you know, be a 10. Um, it's, it, it's nothing like super concrete. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all like, it's all about like degrees of enjoyment and I've just been sort of like doing it for so long, at least in my own mind, I have, you know, sort of like an idea of what my enjoyment threshold is in terms of like what would make for a 10 in terms of like, you know, being excited, being blown away and feeling like after I've listened to a piece, there's not possibly anything that I could think of that would improve it or anything that I thought was missing in the experience. Um, you know, I, I guess like, again, it's just kind of like just various degrees of enjoyment from like, you know, five down is pretty much like, I'm not enjoying this and anything from like, you know, five, because five is just kind of simply in the middle. It's more indifference than anything. Uh, five up is sort of like degrees of 
more positive feelings, um, you know, with obviously maybe like a six or seven being likable, but I have some reservations, you know, um, and then pushing beyond that, like, you know, whatever I'm talking about, um, even if there's like maybe a few moments on the record, I'm not crazy about, uh, and it gets like an eight, I still love it. You know, I still think it's like a recommendable, uh, project. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, again, I wouldn't say there's any sort of like hard criteria, uh, but you know, some of the best albums that I reviewed very positively, like a lot of them do happen to, um, you know, as, as a lot of fans have kind of, uh, noted, um, showcase some kind of like, you know, <laughs> conceptual ambition, um, maybe a narrative of some sort, or, you know, maybe some kind of like cohesive theme, be it something told through the lyrics or the instrumentation, um, a lot of my detractors, uh, you know, despite the fact that they ignore stuff like, uh, Jesse Ware's disco album, getting album of the year for me, um, uh, uh you know, we'll say like, oh, well, if it's a, if it, if it's a noisy thing, he'll love it. <laughs> if it's, if it's noisy and distorted and abrasive, he'll, he'll love the shit out of it. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny this past year, I, um, gave a 10 to my album of the year, um, the new spelling record, uh, the turning wheel, which is this really instrumentally ornate, whimsical kind of art pop album with a lot of theatrical, you know, elements to it. And, um, you know, I, I saw some people talking about it online saying like, yeah, I didn't check it out. Cause I just thought it was a noise album. Cause he liked it, you know, but then I went to try it. <laughs> and it's, like, it's not like that at all. And, um, <laughs> so, you know, um, and, and look, you know, I, I like some, dark and tortured shit and experimental shit too. Um, you know, I, I think like what people's perception of me is all kind of depends on like whatever the YouTube algorithm is sort of willing to show them, mm -hmm. um, depending on like the kind of stuff they click on and what their taste is and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, th there are people that, that I'm pretty convinced of like, you know, never even seen me give a positive review of anything, you know, despite having at this point, uh, probably like uh, maybe a thousand or like, you know, at least like, um, you know, hundreds at the very least hundreds of positive reviews. I mean, usually at the end of every year I have like 50 favorite albums, obviously that top my list. And, you know, for 10 whole freaking years, I mean, that's 500 very positive reviews right there, but still it's like, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the YouTube algorithm is willing to show people is what they see. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh, some people just see whatever the hell my, negative shit is because that's just you know that, that that drives a lot of controversy that drives a lot of traffic it drives a lot of discussion you know that there's there's really uh internet's really like a disgusting filthy horrible place <laughs> sure <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's it's really a disgusting filthy horrible place i mean you know even um i recently saw uh some people have been making kind of uh, a to-do over some recent kind of updates to the uh, front page of that rapper little Zan's uh, Instagram page where he's like, I'm not going to be around much longer and so on and so forth. I, I hope the guy's okay. I hope he's not like, you know, doing anything like too dire or anything like that. But like, you know, the whole hip hop side of the music industry fucking hates that guy too. Um, you know, and like, to be fair, like a lot of it is based in sort of the you know, how vapid his music is and the fact that he was kind of speaking off the cuff in an interview about like Tupac's music being boring, um, you know, but uh, uh, 
I, I think like being a young, naive rapper who's like trying to tell his own personal story about how, you know, uh, Xanax abuse like ruined his life. Um, you know, he's, he probably went into that interview or went into that conversation just like naive and also taking a note because from, you know, some of his uh, contemporaries at the time, because he wouldn't be the first rapper who got popular in the SoundCloud era, who was just kind of like, yeah, fuck Tupac, fuck Biggie. I don't care about any of that lyrical shit. Da, 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 da. But like, you know, his comments are really just like, you know, w- will probably continue to follow him until like, you know, uh, 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 until he's at a very old age. And, um, you know, it's, it's having the internet fucking hate you is not fun. I I can imagine. It's not fun. It's horrible. It it, like, it really gets into your psyche, especially when you're talking about something that you're passionate about, like music or creating, uh, where really at the end of the day, it's like, you know, good music can get you pretty far, but like, you know, let's be honest, like a lot of, popularity and success in the music industry in industry also comes down to just general general likability of the person you know what i mean like yeah. th- there there are a few creators and songwriters who like you know get away with kind of being a heel but but it's not many you know like as, as far as like uh people who are current day and and are very successful you probably count them on two hands you know uh, like kanye uh drake like there's there's not a whole lot of artists especially underground artists that can make a solid career out of like being kind of a a widely hated person you know and and still have like a, a dependable fan base there at the end of the day to support them and support their music and believe in what they do um so you know if if like people don't like you uh, if people hate you for whatever reason that they do, like, I'm sure it can really fuck you up and, and really ruin any chance of having any kind of long-term success. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, uh, have the job of a critic and being hated is kind of like built into the recipe <laughs> regardless <laughs> of like how hard I try not to, uh, be hated. Although a lot of the time my attitude is more like, uh, people are going to hate me either fucking way. So just like, you know, fuck it. Um, don't even like, you know, bother with like trying to get people to like me because uh, there's always going to be somebody there is like, you suck, you know, because just, just for the act of doing what I do. Um, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't really uh, uh, matter. And at the end of the day, like, even if an opinion or something I've said causes somebody to be pissed off at me, um, r- really uh, at at the end of all of it, the only the only true value out of what I do comes from the fact that I'm you know the perception of me being honest with it and me being sort of like you know um, uh, the 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 trust that I'm being frank about how I feel and I'm not like you know pretending to like or pretending to hate something um, for whatever reason uh, that I do and um, you know I, I can at least say that like. Uh, a majority of people um, still come away from my views being like, okay, well, I don't agree, but you know, he said his piece and he <laughs> genuinely feels that way. You know, yeah. the, the people who try to call me out on being sort of ingenuine um, or disingenuous about my reviews are often the ones that are kind of uh, confused about how I've succeeded at what I do and haven't really been exposed to much of what I do or, you know, have no idea how long I've been doing it. 
Um, you know, they just sort of think like I'm some weird overnight sensation that uh, uh, only, you know, th that they only see again, like when the YouTube algorithm decides to show them some popular album I don't really like all that much. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the, the internet can be an awful place in terms of just like uh, hate, negativity, toxicity, and like, you know, obviously social media platforms are happy to take advantage of that, you know, because anything negative or controversial on any given platform, be it Twitter or be it TikTok, is uh, going to spread a lot farther than uh, <laughs> something that's uh, maybe more like, you know, uh, positive or, um, you know, uh, uh, loving or understanding or nuanced uh, in tone. Do you have any advice for how people should deal with that negativity? Um, not good advice. Uh, <laughs> Give us the bad <laughs> advice then. That's fine. No, I mean like, you know, the, the bad advice, I mean, how I deal with it is either <laughs> it's like, you know, if, if I do react to it, it's usually just sort of like a fuck you, you know, it's like whatever, you know, it's like, I, I don't need to justify what I do to you necessarily. Um, I, I, you know, I, I've, look, I've been doing this for like over a decade and I've responded to negative situations in a myriad of different ways. Um, sometimes very diplomatically, sometimes like, you know, like a total fucking prick, I guess it sort of depends on how, I, I guess like valid, I feel like the criticism is that somebody may be lobbing at me or how, you know, sort of like serious, I think they're being like, are they actually like coming from a serious place of concern or are they just like a troll? You know right. what I mean? Um, when it's a troll, I may sort of be like very flippant or I may just ignore it entirely. Um, but I mean, you know, in general, it's like, it's, it's really hard for, and I don't know if this is entirely a good thing. Um, you know, it's, it's really <laughs> hard for a lot of it to sink in all that deeply, uh, for me on an emotional level, because I've been exposed to it repeatedly for so long. Uh, so there's probably like a level of desensitization there. And there's that and the other side of it. And, I, you know, maybe this is something to do with the fact that I'm an older millennial, like so many of the years of my youth were spent without the Internet and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, obviously I have like a lot of fond memories of like first getting online and uh, chat rooms and MySpace and LiveJournal and all that shit, uh, which was all cool. But um you know, it, it, I guess like none of it really feels all that real to me. Um, it just doesn't feel real. It just feels like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm logging on to do my job on the matrix every morning. Uh, and you know, like whatever, you know, negative fucking thing somebody is saying there, just like, you know, it, it doesn't exist. You know, I, I don't know. That person could be a Russian bot for all the fuck I know. I don't care. Um, like I, I have a hard time sort of like, you know, connecting any uh, real person or even real anger to a lot of the stuff that people, you know, sort of like say to me on the internet, uh, not, not only because I don't know any of these people personally, you know, um, also like a lot of the stuff that gets the negative stuff that gets thrown at me over and over and over. A lot of it is the same. It's just kind of like hearing the same shit over and over and over again. So it's like kind of hard to even put a, a unique face or personality or individual to the thing that's being said, because it just kind of feels like it's all coming at me through 
a script <laughs> or something that somebody's yeah. like you know written into a million sock accounts or some bullshit because it's just like kind of the same badly reasoned sort of like attacks on my character sort of the quality of the reviews over and over and over um and you know on top of it uh i i again i, I it's it's a lot of generic attacks i don't really know any of these people and you know it's it's rare that i'm kind of dealing with a lot of people who i talk with even online in a positive way uh it, it's it's rare that i'm dealing with any of these people face to face you know so i mean uh, especially during the pandemic you know when i haven't really been dealing with a much with much of anybody outside of my family you know yeah um so i mean you know the internet's a, a fun place it could be a great place it could be a really entertaining place and obviously i i love the fact that i've been able to uh um you know make my my living doing it but uh i i, I have a hard time kind of getting emotionally invested in in it in it for an extended period of time because just a lot of it doesn't feel real it just doesn't even feel like reality um and and you know i mean i think that that socially is changing i think the internet is becoming more and more of a real place and i think that uh, you know eventually down the line we we may in fact kind of reach a crossroads where socially maybe there will actually be um you know uh, the same kind of repercussions uh, that you would get for telling someone fuck you on the street, <laughs> you know, get, getting basically that same mm -hmm. kind of heat for telling someone fuck you on Twitter. You know what I mean? Oh, I can't wait. I want that so much, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and maybe, maybe that's, that's obviously going to happen after our Twitter accounts are sort of like, you know, like um, uh, chipped into us when we're born. You know what I mean? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so the moment you say that to somebody, they can come find you. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, uh, but, uh, but you know, like I've, I've grown up for a long time with the internet, just kind of like being, you know, like a, a very much a not real place, not a serious place or, um, or, or whatever. And, and again, I think it is becoming more powerful and more serious a tool, but at least like in my own personal experience and in, in, in what I do. And I, and I, and I know that there are things like, you know, you want, you want to maintain uh, good optics and I care about what I do as far as like, you know, my, my reviewing craft, if you want to call it that, like, obviously like, you know, I don't want to come on camera and just be like, uh, this artist is a real asshole and, you know, I hope they <laughs> die and blah, 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 because, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I don't really like harbor any, ill will to artists or musicians i mean you know it's uh, i i even some of the artists who i've given the most negative reviews i i wish them well um you know i i hope they're enjoying their career i mean you know i i have a hard time sort of even seeing my negative critiques of some of their stuff really having all that much significance or impact in their daily lives frankly i mean you know i uh, one of my more negative reviews last year was for that new drake record and that album's probably got billions of streams at this point like mm -hmm. it's not like me saying i don't like the new drake album is uh, impacting the guy's bottom line what is you know what the fuck does uh, i say matter in the grander scheme of his success and career well and also when you're when you're measuring it by the metric of how much you're enjoying it rather than you know the overarching you know span of this person's musical career like it makes it make a little bit more sense to me like that that it doesn't it it's really your your filter of just the enjoyment, like not who they are or what they stand for. 
Yeah. I mean, when, when it is an artist that has a pretty wide discography, especially one that I've covered regularly, mm-hmm. it can be, it can be a little column A and column B, you know, I mean, having heard maybe five or six records from an artist can kind of help to be a guide because it at least does give you a bit of a, a perspective and give you at least like an idea of how much better you may be enjoying one particular record versus another. Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I'm under no sort of like, you know, uh, uh, idea that what I'm doing is like objective in any way or uh, and, and honestly, it's like the quality and um, I, I guess sort of like the, the the appeal of art can boil down to so many things that it would be difficult. Um, the, the more I do this, the more the concept of I think would be very difficult to really kind of like form a hardcore like in stone uh you know set of criteria that like you know only a 10 album can be this you know even to sort of just like pick a really obvious like pretentious you know uh, checkbox and say it's got to be conceptual it's got to be a concept album well it's you know think about like i mean the strokes is this it you know, I mean, as far as like, you know, indie rock records, rock records of the 2000s, that record is like so fucking perfect, near perfect. And it's not a fucking concept record. It's just like a, you know, dumb, catchy, indie kind of lo-fi record. And it's great. And it's amazing. It's fantastic. But, um, you know, it's not a record that's like trying to, uh, you know, shark jump over Pink Floyd's The Wall. It's just a really fun, catchy, <laughs> uh, slightly innovative, snappy record that has a lot of swagger and charisma and just some really great songwriting and that's it we'll be right back after this say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When Sky Dream came out, you know, you reviewed it. Um, most of the music publications they reviewed it. It did. They did spark some Ska's back kind of articles and some reevaluation of Ska. And I was really hoping that um, these same publications were going to review other Ska bands. And so far, I think you might be the only one. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't covered nearly enough <laughs> Ska's. Maybe some people were kind of expecting I would in the wake of. Scott dream, but in my defense, you know, it's like, you know, I, I do kind of like talk about, oh, you know, it would be nice if, you know, if, if it were sort of relevant again, but you know, I'm, I'm not over here like hollering, like, yes, yeah, Scott's officially back y'all. <laughs> it's back. You know, because the thing is like, I'm in, and I don't know why some of these other publications would like delude themselves into believing this because like, 
they're dealing with the same fucking PR people and emails that I'm seeing week to week. They know what the next six months to a year of album releases are looking like, and they know how many Scott albums are about to come out. So, you know, they, they, they know, they, they know the same Scott albums that are going to come out that I do. Uh, so it's like, you know, I know that they don't see an impending wave of ska records and I'm sure a lot of them have, you know, maybe some deeper artist connections than, than I do. And I, I don't know if any of them heard through the grapevine that, uh, uh, the, you know, like uh, Lil Nas X is going to be dropping a Scott album soon or, uh, you know, the Flaming Lips <laughs> are going to be dropping their Scott album soon. You know, everybody just heard the Jeff Rosenstock record and they're like, fuck, we got to get back in the studio. Um, you know, look, I, I think like the record is obviously great and it kind of um, serves as a reminder of like, you know, what um, could could possibly be, you know, the 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 rarity about Jeff is like, he's got so much music industry support and production expertise yeah. and he has like such a baked in fan base within, you know, sort of like the music review writer circle that like, you know, uh, doing which like he had to build up through years of not doing ska, <laughs> mind you, like sure. he had to do that through years of not making ska in order to go full circle back and make a ska album to actually get like, you know, everybody to listen to a fucking ska record and review it. Um, you know, the, the thing is like, I'm, I'm dealing with it. I'm seeing the, the emails and people at least, you know, through the digital space and, and online who are, you know, working for sub pop and working for merge and working for matador and like, you know, all these labels, they're not scouting ska bands, you know, like, and, and, and it's, that's unfortunate, you know, but I, I think like, it's just kind of like a, uh, the, the, because obviously there there are ska bands out there and there are some good ska bands out there um and you know and and that's not to say that um the, the, there's ska bands out there there's good ska bands out there but like are they getting the support monetarily and industry wise in order to have the kind of career that a good ska band you know deserves and when i say that it's it comes down to a lot more than you know, me or any number of other writers deciding that we're going to review this record. It also comes down to, again, sort of like A&R people at labels being willing to also put a decent amount of money into the record, get some great production or a good producer behind the record is, um, you know, the, the, another thing to sort of like take into account that has, you know, sort of uh, uh, been really significant in the wake of the streaming age is just like all the algorithms that uh, is exposing people to various musicians and you know uh, uh styles of music on the internet you know how are you also going to get these bands like hot on the spotify platform and hot on the apple music platform i mean i'm sure it's possible but it requires a lot of like stars purposefully aligning across the industry in order for you to go on spotify and see any number of records or artists getting instantaneously recommended to you when you decide to click on a b or c artists that you already enjoy. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, I, I, again, I don't know why some of these people would delude themselves into, you know, saying or believing this because, um, you know, I, I feel like they should be just as aware as I am. I, I should just be just as aware as they are of like how many gears need to turn before you see the new cat power cover songs album come out and you see it on the front of Apple music. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and even having that much support and that much placement doesn't even guarantee that you're going to get that many streams. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think it's kind of unfortunate, but like the, the deeper we get into this, the more I feel like while the internet was a really is, you know, as far as like music discussion and discovery and exposure was a really exciting place. And, and there's still a lot of cool, exciting things going on on the internet music wise, you know, not sort of like, you know, pissing on the new generation or anything like that. But I feel like we're starting to eclipse into a moment where it feels kind of like the 2000s clear channel radio program gateway all over again and you're just kind of like not being exposed to the same like 10 artists or the you know uh point of like a a 20 minute you know uh block of songs with commercials in between each one uh it's it's more like you're just getting exposed to like the same three trending like styles over and over again like you know via uh the most popular artists and sort of like you know musical uh, you know, music uh, exposure algorithms on some of these platforms. And while the internet still does provide an out, because, you know, no matter how much shit you're getting exposed to, you could always like, you know, cause a glitch in the matrix and just suddenly type in Sky Dream and, you know, pops up right in front of you, you can listen to it. Uh, but like, you know, by that same token, that's like not the experience that the vast majority of people are having. You know, the vast majority of people are getting like plugged into a really homogenized, very trendy and, you know, like very kind of like predictable set of songs and styles and sounds and artists. And they're often not finding themselves kind of like breaking, breaking out of them. Um, You know, I, I think the internet has done a cool thing as far as like the musical diet in terms of like, there, there are less kind of cultural barriers stopping people from exploring different genres you know like a lot of people especially like music nerds that i run into online like they uh, some of them are you know just as into or just as excited for like the jeff rosenstock record as they are like the new lady gaga record or you know the new dua lipa record or you know the new um lingua ignota record or something like that but uh you know simultaneously it's kind of caused like a lack of across the board, I think like in-depth listening to a particular type of style, you know, or or anything like that. It's more of like everyone's kind of reaching this surface level uh, kind of exposure to a lot of different things as opposed to like more of an in-depth or underground kind of understanding or sort of like, you know, listen to a, a, maybe a, a handful of different stuff. Um, and, and again, I, th- I think that's more the majority experience. Obviously there's you know, still a lot of like niche music fans out there. It seems like, you know, there, there's maybe more than there, there ever was, uh, uh, before, but that's, you know, still not, uh, uh, you know, I guess sort of like, uh, uh, not to ignore the fact that like the algorithm kind of does what the algorithm does. And, and I don't think it's always like kind of to the benefit of the, the listener. I think it's more to the benefit of the label, you know, to, to kind of create sort of like predictable trends, uh, to be able to, you know, it, with the internet being as volatile as it is, um, know that their, you know, tired, fucking boring ass record that has the same goddamn uh, trap beats and MIDI pianos on it as the past 100 that have dropped over the past year uh, is going to hit well. 
you know, despite the fact that uh, uh, anybody could be clicking on or typing anything into these uh, platforms, these streaming platforms at any given moment. Um, so, yeah. What was it about the Catbite record, though, that um, inspired you to, to review it, that caught on your radar? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tried a bunch of, uh, you know, in the wake of the Ska Dream review, a lot of people were recommending bands to me. I was getting, uh, uh, you know, a lot of bands and artists listed out to me. And I was kind of, you know, going through the list here and there and trying out certain ones. Um, and the Catbite record is one of the ones that I... I ran into last and ended up kind of coming back to multiple times. Um, mostly because, uh, you know, I, I just thought it was very well performed and, uh, a lot of the songs on the record were, uh, well-written, well-produced and, uh, almost like, um, ska dream. It was covering a lot of bases of ska as well. You know, not that I think that, you know, I'm not telling anybody that's a fucking necessity to make a great ska record. Um, you know, I, I think you'd probably make a great record in a Scottalites style <laughs> record, uh, frankly. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I still frankly thought that that was, uh, uh, impressive. Um, you know, that they were able to, uh, uh, do some of the more pop oriented stuff that was kind of no doubt style. And then also do some more rock steady stuff as well and kind of cover uh, some more bases in between. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just thought the vocals were impressive. Rhythm section was great. And it just seemed like a really vast improvement. Um, upon their last record as well, uh, I, I just felt like I, I I had to talk about it, I had to fit it in. So you also shared, um, you didn't review, but you shared the Flying Raccoon Suit record, mm -hmm. and then uh, just kind of just kind of threw it out there, didn't say anything. Yeah, we need some clarification on that. You just <laughs> you just posted the URL on Twitter. <laughs> what was going on that day? I'm I, I I'm sorry. There's like you know probably every day I'm like throwing out a couple or at least like one <laughs> random URL of something I heard on YouTube or Bandcamp or something. And just sort of see like if other people are digging it, you know, and just see like how people kind of react. I'm just kind of randomly throwing out stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you like like it could it could happen through an email it could happen through uh somebody dming me something i get a lot of dms obviously at like any given time where it's like you gotta check this band out or this other thing um and you know honestly like week to week i'll uh, i will often go back over my feed and i'll see what i shared and and sometimes i'll go back and i'll listen to some of the stuff that i shared that like kind of hit me on first listen i was like oh this is kind of cool i'll go back and i'll listen to it and think oh, okay it's all right you know like if if it's not kind of sticking with me after the second listen um usually i'll just sort of like you know uh just kind of continue on my path mm -hmm. uh but if i you know if i revisit it for another time and i'm like okay you know this is like uh and and i, and I don't know if this is like the case for a lot of people but at least for me um hearing something new is usually pretty exciting, even if it doesn't end up being something that I like. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes the first listen can be a little deceiving for me in that, like, Oh, it sounds like, you know, fresh. Um, so this is like, you know, sort of like a cool new thing I'm hearing right now. But if, you know, if, if I get tired of it quickly, that's usually kind of a, a sign that maybe I should sort of move on. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, that, that was, and, and not, you know, I'm not I'm sort of implicating the, the album in that or, or anything like that, but, you know, I'm just sort of telling you that's, that's often like what I'm doing, I guess, it's just kind of like a part of my process or <laughs> whatever, just sort of like <laughs> running across stuff and just throwing out randomly online and just, 
um, you know, hopefully it gets like some attention and some shine off of that because it, at least in that moment that I shared it, it was, you know, it grabbed my attention and, you know, I'm, I'm listening to tons of stuff every day at any given time. So what do you, I'm curious, like, um, feedback you get from the ska community or ska people, you know, in the, in these couple of instances of talking about ska, posting about ska, what is that like? And can you compare it to what other genres fans are like? Um, not necessarily. I mean, I don't think I've done enough, you know, enough to, to really like, I, I haven't felt the full spectrum of, of the ska community's feelings. I don't think, <laughs> I think I would need to come out with like a couple more like super positive ska reviews, you know, like, like do a couple more, maybe ones that like, you know, land in, in like the seven to eight range or something and and then after that do another ska review where it's like a two and and, and then and then see the ska community really like come after me with the trombones um, <laughs> i'm just like we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna fucking unload our spit valves on you fantano shut the fuck up um <laughs> you know it's uh, uh you know I, I i don't know um so uh uh you know i i, I can't say i've i've found myself in a position where I've, where I've, uh, earned the ire of the ska community yet, you know? Um, so I, I can't say it's sort of like differed in, in any way, uh, significantly, you know, I, I will say I did get like a couple responses though, from some people who, you know, saw the ska dream in the top 10 and, and the responses were more like, Ugh, I can't believe you put a fucking ska record in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I enjoy it, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I mean, honestly, like by the time, and, and I don't know if you can confirm this. I, I feel like by the time I put that in my top 10, I feel like a lot of the Scott community was kind of like over the album because I, I kind of get the sense that a lot of them don't really, you know, I'm sure a lot of them love the record and appreciate the record, but they don't like the fact that like it's kind of representing the scene in a way. Um, whereas like, obviously there's much more to the scene than, than that album. Um, you know, and like, obviously like nobody can take away from Jeff what he did on that record and obviously you know his ska roots you know with bond the music industry and everything like speak for themselves but like you know over that course of time where he was kind of like building up his solo cred there were lots of you know modern ska bands doing their thing and continuing to uh you know do ska and um yeah i'm, I'm sure them and a lot of people who are fans of those artists you know uh i would much rather uh they also you know not instead of but also be getting you know uh, uh shine too i, I think with Jeff having having ska roots, him coming back to it, I feel like the ska community at large like was really excited to see that because everybody knew him from his you know bomb the music industry. Yeah, and- for sure. I, I don't think anybody is underappreciative of what he did on that record. I, I think if there's any kind of like reservation, it's more with like the way the record is. Again, as you guys kind of said, like the way the record is portrayed, and you know how the record is kind of like. Uh, painted as like oh the levee's breaking we're scott's finally (laughs) back everybody and um you know whereas like people are really hardcore into the genre as i've had interactions with or like i mean scott's kind of been back in in our opinion and you know like scott dream is great but like you know the bands that are doing their thing and are uh, putting out records this year were also doing their thing last year too and you know they weren't getting talked about then you know for Mm -hmm. the hardcores who have been 
engaging the genre and doing what they do in the genre, you know, no, nothing has changed. You know, it's, it's, it's only for the people who have been ignoring the genre that something's changed, you know, with the release of, of Scott Dream. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Let's talk a little bit about your history. What was your exposure to Scott? So my understanding, you were in the punk scene, and it was through the punk scene you learned about ska or started to see ska shows. Yeah. I mean, I, I just like a lot of, uh, uh, again, like, you know, going to VFW shows in high school and in college. Um, and, you know, I was just kind of exposed to bands or styles that were popular in the Connecticut scene. Um, and, you know, obviously with it being Connecticut and being the two thousands and like, you know, hate breed being what it was, there was a lot of metalcore. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, there were a lot of ska bands that were popular at the time too, uh, you know, whether they be, uh, groups that were local or bands that just had like a very passionate, like local, um, fan base, whether they be like the flaming tsunamis or uh, there's another one that I'm thinking of at the top of my head that I can't uh, think of the name of. They played like a really, uh, popular show at a chicken place uh my, my buddy who uh books shows and uh, does it professionally now back in the day he booked them at a chicken spot and i'm trying to remember <laughs> i'm trying to remember they, that like you know it, if if it was a show that like he or somebody else could like convince the owner or could you know promise them that there's not going to be moshing like you could kind of get any band anywhere you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, usually ska shows were like a little bit easier of a pitch in some places because like, you know, the, there wasn't going to be anybody sort of like throwing their body around in a violent way. Um, so so that sort of thing wasn't like that that weird or that odd. But um, uh, but yeah, you know, and, and on top of it, we had like a, a ctska.com you know, which was like a very popular forum back in the day. And there were there were very regular listings for local shows, um, you know, just local ska shows, uh, some of which I, I would uh, go to if there wasn't like another show to go to, because usually they were just like very fun and very chill. Um, and, you know, kind of speaking of the musical trends of, in the underground at that time, and we talked about them on, um, you know, uh, the, the interview that we did, you know, there were, there were bands like Folly that brought ska and metalcore. Mm -hmm. uh together yeah. that were uh, that were really great I, I you know i loved uh 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 them back in the day because i was really into a lot of that uh metalcore shit and thought that uh some of their ska breakdowns were pretty fun and refreshing um but uh but yeah it was it was mostly just like exposure through through local shows just through you know local shows and uh you know either vfw shows or just like whatever spot you could you know see a band in any of the bands or shows that like really stick out to you from those days <sighs> definitely like this one flaming tsunami show uh where i can't i can't remember what it was in but it was in just like a really big 
second floor like community building and like the room was packed it was hundreds of kids and everybody was going nuts and everybody was skanking it was like you know the sweatiest craziest one of the sweatiest craziest shows i've ever been to and 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 it was a big bill as well i don't even know if they were the band who was headlining i remember like you know their performance the most vividly because you know their horn section was crazy and they had like the a uh, whole deal during their set where I, I, I can't remember. They came out with uh, that project, that zombies versus something project. Um, and they had like, you know, half the crowd, they split the crowd and they're like, now you guys be zombies and you guys be robots or whatever. And, you know, and, and like, it was, it was just kind of like a wild performance. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they were great. And, uh, you know, that was definitely like, you know, one of the craziest local ska shows I had, ever been to it was just like so packed and uh uh so uh uh like such a such a you know an intense set of performances and everybody was like you know there to have a great time and it was one of those shows that like you know rarely like there were just like a lot of people there early you know and it was just like packed almost from the start and it just like went pretty late into the night too you said the choking victim were uh, one of your favorites yeah and you you said that uh, you were um, interested in uh, really interested in radical politics at the time. Yeah, they, they were. I was very interested in that, and I was just interested in you know like a lot of like anarcho punk stuff. Like I was also very like into against me at the time as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, choking victim, and and obviously like you know the the initial transition over into. Uh, leftover crack and everything um, was 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 very much my thing at the time. What could you kind of explain a little bit the radical politics that you were interested in at that time? Um, yeah, I mean, at the time I was uh, a registered Green Party member as as far as like you know voting goes, um, but you know I, I was interested in sort of like generally anarchist politics and far left politics although i i don't think i was like you know super well studied outside of like you know reading some chomsky and howard zinn and um listening pretty uh devotedly to a lot of uh, uh jello biafra spoken word albums um and uh, uh you know and and i ran into a lot of people who sort of did a lot of you know, organizing for like food, not bomb stuff and, you know, um, homelessness action at, at some of these shows as well. You know what I mean? Um, you know, sometimes like some of the local shows would be charity events for these kinds of things. Uh, so, you know, it just kind of came, I think with, um, with just kind of like the, I, I guess sort of like, you know, the, the circles of the music scene that I was involved in at the time, you know, it's, uh, uh, Beyond that, like, uh, I, I went pretty regularly to uh, some protests, especially in the wake of the, you know, the Iraq war and everything. I, I got caught up into a an interview that led to like a feature in a Newsweek piece back in the day because of, uh, uh, you know, sort of like getting caught on the street by some reporter just being like, why are you here? You know, it's like asking just like some random 17 year old uh, why they're, you know, there. Um and, uh, uh, you know, it was something that I, I cared about. It was something that I was passionate about. It was something that, um, you know, mattered a lot to me, uh, it, though, you know, it was only something that I feel like at, at that point I could uh, 
take so far because in in a way <laughs> um like uh, uh i I, w- I was given pretty free reign of like whatever i wanted to do or say or believe or listen to as a kid but like getting involved in sort of the political thing was something that my dad wasn't you know all that supportive of or kind of like you know forbid me from and even the initial sort of like you know um uh war protest that i had gone to i i had to go to in secret and um <laughs> so like it wasn't often that i was actually able to do that sort of thing um but then it's sort of like after i you know I, I did that interview and at the time i probably should have shut the hell up because uh uh he found out about it afterwards because you know for the newsweek piece uh because somebody at newsweek uh you know ran across that article that i was in sort of being quickly quoted in and um they sort of just went through the phone book and were calling every, anybody with fantano as their last name because obviously that's what you would do in the early 2000s because you, know, you could look up <laughs> someone on the internet and he's like you know so he just like called me up and he was like so are you going to protest you know it's like, you know like how the fuck you know, did you, did you, some, some reporter is calling me and da, 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 da. I was like, oh, okay, well, yes, I, I went and <laughs> some reporter pulled me off the street. So, you know, like it was, a, a it, it was something that, you know, I, I, I guess like, you know, didn't involve myself as often in any sort of direct action, something as maybe I would have liked, um, into college I had, focused my degree in part on political science. I thought I might end up doing something in that field, um, especially combined with, with journalism. Cause I was also doing a lot of broadcast journalism classes and radio classes. And toward the end of college, I thought I was going to end up doing like political reporting or something, be it for like NPR, or like, you know, maybe democracy now or something, if that was, uh, something that I could swing or make happen. Um, but I just ended up, you know, wanting to do a music show. Um, that's just kind of yeah. where my heart ended up lying. I mean, it was, it was, you know, very much based upon just kind of the series of events laid out in front of me. In part, I did kind of miss doing, you know, a, a music show as I did in college before I, you know, started working at uh, an NPR station in Hartford um, right out of college. But um at the time, the station had gone from an all classical station to an all talk format. So they were just like repeating a lot of programming every day. And, um, you know, basically everything that played during the morning and afternoon would just replay exactly at night and in the evening. So, um, you know, one of the producers said, like, you know, they're really desperate for like new shows and programs because like they don't have all the money to buy new shows yet. And, you know, it's like they don't know what the hell to do other than just like repeat all the day shows during the night. So I just like made a I conceptualized a music show and just pitched it to the general manager. And he was just like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, let's do it. And then it just like aired every Saturday night, um, you know, within a few months of me proving that I could do it regularly through a podcast. And uh, that was just, you know, uh, my thing for a while, but I could only push it so far, um, over there and, uh, uh, decided to, you know, kind of take things to YouTube. And that's obviously kind of long of the short of it, how we're here now. We'll be right back after this. 
Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Was um was it your politics that uh, your parents were you know upset about, or was it the like you know don't make waves, don't get involved sort of attitude? You know, my my dad got interviewed for. You know, it's 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 kind of it's kind of funny. In some ways, my dad was kind of like a ahead of his time because. Uh, <laughs> You know, I I think when I'm sort of like dealing or sort of like observing a lot of uh, uh, the stuff that poisons the well um, on the political end these days, I, I see it kind of playing out not so much as like an ideological thing as much as it's just kind of like a nihilism thing. Um, whereas like, you know, I see just I just see a lot of people react to either the things that uh, either I say or a lot of other people are saying. It's just like, why are you saying this? None of this matters. Like, you know, what's, what's even the point? Like, you know, the, there's, there's no significance to this. It just doesn't matter. It's not important. And, um, you know, the, and that was essentially like kind of my dad's attitude when he got quoted as well for the uh, Newsweek piece. Cause they asked him the whole angle of the piece was like, uh, younger kids caring about po- these 17 year olds care about politics. Why, why? It doesn't make any sense. Um, so, you know, obviously like some of the parents like got kind of quoted in the, in the whole piece and, um, you know, his, his response is pretty much like, I don't want him to invest himself too much into something that's going to disappoint him because, you know, it's like, because ultimately like, you know, he feels like it's, it's all just like a sham. It's all pointless and so on and so forth. And yeah. And look, I mean, I get it. There's like a lot of top down, um, corruption in the political system that uh, uh, is is maybe sort of like, you know, may prove to be completely impossible societally to overcome. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it doesn't matter that it's not significant or that you just like say or do nothing in, in reaction to it. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, he was just kind of plagued with sort of a, a, a nihilism um, that, uh, you know, that, that I just don't really that I just don't really accept, you know, and, and, but again, I, I see that as being a very prevalent thing these days. You know, I mean, a lot of people kind of just kind of nickname that attitude, a doomer attitude now. And, and I get it. Like, you know, shit is awful. Like every, like these past two years, like <laughs> honestly, like I, I don't begrudge anybody uh, a bit of a doomer attitude after the uh, past <laughs> couple of years, I'm uh, trying to stave it off myself, but um, you know, uh, I, I think that was kind of just his, uh, his, his attitude and feeling about the whole thing that it just like, you know, wasn't important and that there were uh, probably other things that I should be concerning myself with. I see. Yeah. So when you, when you interviewed Jeff, one of the things you guys talked about was that, um, that everyone can skank, that that was one of the great things about ska shows. Right. Did you skank? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 I hated, uh. Yeah, at, at at shows I was not a wallflower. Um, you know, I I was in the pit. There, there's 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 pictures of me in the pit. If you look up Anthony Fantano mosh pit, there's pictures of me in the pit. Um, you know, I I'd get in the pit, I'd skank. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. 
I think I've seen a picture of you up front at like a hate breed show. Maybe not. I've, I've never been no? up front at a, at a hate breed show. It's probably another bald guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of bald guys at those shows. So it's probably some other bald guy. So it sounds like, you know, like you definitely like the, the, the heavier end of the ska band spectrum from back in the day. Like in, in, in my youth, I was, you know, obviously like, I, I think like a lot of guys just into a lot of very aggressive music, you know, um, simultaneously especially during my college years i mean i was also very into dylan and i was very into tom waits and i was very into you know uh some of the soft indie bands that were out i mean it was it was really a spectrum but the thing is like in connecticut like those fucking bands didn't come through you know what i mean it's like i mean Mm -hmm. you know look uh uh, to the credit (laughs) of my buddy who i referenced earlier uh mark and some other people as well like we we get way hipper bands out here than we than we used to um but uh uh you know uh but as far as like local shows you, you were kind of limited to whatever the local tastes were you know what i mean um and and that was you know metalcore and it was new metal and it was ska and it was like you know the occasional um you know like hardcore punk band and and stuff like that coming through but uh uh, you know, I, I didn't always have the, the money to, you know, and look, there, there were like some good venues and you'd always catch a good show pretty regularly back in the day at like Toads or the Webster or da, 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 da. But like, you know, I was working as a cook at like a pizza job. I didn't always have like, you know, the money for a Webster show or, you know, a, a, an arena show kind of ticket. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, back in the day, I'd never had the money for an arena show kind of ticket. Um, like one of the few shows I went to back in the day like that was, uh, my mom got me tickets to Zappa play Zappa because I, I was also into Frank Zappa. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, 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 you know, most of the time, if I had any money for a show, it was a local show. And if it was a local show, it was the stuff that was popular locally. And again, that was like, that was metalcore, That was ska, uh, predominantly. Were you, uh, less into the, um, the um the type of ska that wasn't as heavy um i'm trying to think like no i I didn't really have anything against uh necessarily like you know the 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 less than jakes of the world or you know anything like that um i i at the time that i was into sky was also you know i i had a bit of a I, I also had a kind of a, a pretentious streak about me as well as I was going through my punk phase. And, and, and I only kind of, you know, uh, listened to older underground music or just kind of older music for a bit, because I, I think I, I spent like kind of the first half of my high school years just listening to whatever was new and whatever was kind of like, you know, new and contemporary on kind of the rock and, and metal and, and hip hop front. And then, um, you know, a friend of mine got me into punk and, and then, you know, I mostly got into just old school punk, uh, you know, just like 70 stuff, 80 stuff. Uh, I wouldn't even fucking listen to anything from the nineties, even though I grew up like <laughs> loving green day and loving the offspring. Like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even subject myself to any of it. And, and that also like applied to ska as well. You know, like if, you know, I, I liked operation Ivy, I liked, uh, uh, you know, freaking, uh, Trojan record stuff. And I like the specials and, you know, a little bit of the second wave stuff, but like, even, even some of that, I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, listen to fucking Prince Buster because, you know, that's the, <laughs> that's the fucking shit. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, uh, 
so yeah, you know, like there, there were like some contemporary ska bands that I, I thought were really good, like at the local shows and everything. But as far as like, uh, the more mainstream stuff, you know, I, I, I kind of like wrote some of that off in the same way that I wrote off a lot of the pop punk that was kind of popular at that time too. Cause I was just like, no, I, I just want to listen. I want just want to hear the old stuff, you know, either, either local and underground or like old, like that's, that's where my head was at. And, you know, uh, I, I think in my older age and with kind of the process of what I do, I've become a bit more of a poptimist in my thirties. <laughs> um, if that's still a term <laughs> that, that makes any sense, but, uh, uh, you know, th- there's definitely some stuff that I think like my, my, my attitude kind of prevented me from appreciating in the moment when I should have appreciated it. But, you know, I, I do, um, also attribute, you know, that like time to me being able to like map out historically kind of the lineage of a lot of the artists and a lot of the genres that I review today, because, you know, while I was kind of, you know, deciding to dip on anything that was new, unless it was like something that I thought was like on the cutting edge, like, Oh Godspeed or against me or, you know, some other blood brothers, some other shit like that. Um, you know, I was at the time like, okay, like, you know, velvet underground then that went into this band and this other band and this other band and you know going back and listening to like you know freaking uh sugar hill gang and then looking at how that evolved into um you know eric b and rakim and then public enemy and you know and just soaking up all of that you know formative music of kind of the 70s and 80s like from the punk movement on uh and you know what sort of like interests me so much about that era is you know, for, for rock music and hip hop music, the eighties really kind of like defined culturally there being sort of like an underground in the music world. Whereas like, you know, prior to that in the seventies, like obviously there were obscure bands that many of us have kind of gone back to appreciate, but, um, you know, the, the concept of there being sort of like a DIY, you know, sort of scene kind of calls back to, um, you know, uh, the, the late stages of that seventies decade. And, um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, that, 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 the, the ethos of that, I was just really into that. And, um, you know, I, I tried to observe a lot of these different styles, you know, be they, um, you know, punk or be they hip hop or be they, you know, stuff like, uh, IDM or drum and bass and that sort of thing. And, and just trying to like appreciate, um, those styles, I guess, like from that angle and try to, at least in my own mind through, uh, internet searches and soul seek downloads and so on and so forth. And, you know, looking at like record release schedules and trying to understand like what artists influenced to like, you know, how a lot of that kind of evolved. And, uh, you know, I, I had maybe a rougher idea than, than maybe some 20 somethings would, uh, you know, with the limited internet access that I had. Um, on some things, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it, that, that sort of like thirst for understanding as to like why certain bands sound that way, um, you know, interested me because, you know, it always kind of blew my mind whenever I'd hear a record and it was one of my favorite records and I loved it. And I could sort of like, you know, uh, pull the clock back like a couple of decades and hear another band that sounds the exact same way. And it's like, holy shit. They just like, you know, I love that record but they just totally ripped this shit off or it gets you know it's 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 the it's this exact same thing but it just gets kind of you know repurposed in this totally different way 
um, you know, that, that, that sort of like musical popular music anthropology was, was always interesting to me. So from your perspective, um, you know, obviously this is a perspective of where you lived and the, t- the time you lived. It's not the definitive point of view, but from your perspective, when did it seem like ska was falling out or becoming less of a factor or just, you know, losing steam, I guess, if you will. I mean, I, I think like, I think the, the, at least from my perspective, the writing kind of seemed to be on the wall when uh, the, the the underground music scene sort of started to be, started to offload onto the internet and things became, I guess, sort of like overtaken by uh, hipsterdom. You know, I, I guess like what we knew in the 2000s is hipsterdom. Um, and, uh, you know, with that sort of like turning into the new aesthetic, the new vibe and all of the, you know, like pitchfork core, pitchfork friendly bands kind of being the, uh, the, the ones that were the most hip and interesting uh, to listen to. Those bands being the most bookable, bookable and most profitable, I think, uh, um, you know, a, a lot of it uh, kind of boiled down to a uh, to that, you know, because, uh, pitchfork and kind of the blog boom that came after it, you know, there was definitely a certain kind of demographic and generation of music fans and music listeners that, uh, uh, that were very plugged into that world. Uh, you know, I arrived very late to it because the needle drop kind of started, um, not even out of a knowledge or appreciation for any of those sites, but just sort of like, and knowing that like, okay, I mean, if I want to make it in the the music covering world, I need to maybe start a blog or something. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I started the needle drop initially as like a blog in 2007 and like, and, and by that point and sort of looking at the landscape and looking at the things that were generally talked about and covered and looking at what had been sort of like getting, you know, uh, uh, sort of like very popular over the past several years, it was, it was pretty clear that like, you know, Scow wasn't exactly like the talk of the town at that time. Um, yeah. So, you know, at, at least for me, um, and yeah, and, and keep in mind, it's like Sky at the time was one of many things that I listened to and, and with, you know, my head being up my ass in the way that it was like a lot of the ska bands that I enjoyed the most, you know, like, especially like, you know, leftover crack or something like weren't even around anymore, you know? So it's like when, when, when I started like covering, new music or sort of making it a, a, a habit of covering new music on a regular basis. I was almost like in some ways starting at square one, because I remember one of the first years that um, I was covering music, um, on, especially on like the YouTube side, that was like a, when Animal Collective dropped Meriwether Post Pavilion. And, uh, and at the time that I reviewed that record, that was my first Animal Collective record, because honestly, like that whole like pitchfork and indie scene and everything, like... I was only sort of plugged into it in my college years because some of those bands I enjoyed due to being exposed to them through CMJ and, um, you know, the sort of CDs that would get sent to us, you know, every, um, uh, week by a lot of the promoters, uh, cause I, I was the music director over there at the college for, for a year and, and, you know, kept, uh, you know, close tabs on a lot of the CDs that were coming in past that point too. And, you know, some of those bands that, uh, had, you know, some great records and sort of like a, a new exciting sound early on, like a uh, death from above 1979 and man, man, 
Um, uh, and there are some other groups that I could probably think of as well. Uh, you know, I remember, uh, people back in the day being excited for like the new Ted Leo record, for example, you know, a, a lot of those artists, uh, you know, I, I kept tabs on, but honestly, it's like, I, I wasn't so plugged into that at, at that point that I knew what the fuck animal collective was. I was like, what the fuck's animal collective? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, I needed to familiarize myself with like a lot of these bands pretty quick. Like it, even in college, I actually didn't even listen to fucking arcade fire. Like it, it, it wasn't until I actually started reviewing that. I was like, now I need to listen to these guys. Like I heard a lot of people like in, in my college days talk about how great neon Bible was. Um, but I, I didn't really go back and you know, uh, listen to them until I had to like start review, reviewing their stuff on a regular basis. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, another group that, uh, I, I was, uh, into in college, uh, uh, of Montreal, uh, mountain goats as well. Uh, you know, some, some of the groups who had like a lot of play in that indie scene, um, I loved a lot others. I needed to play catch up on because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm just like one guy. And there's kind of like this expectation that I review all these records. So, uh, uh, you know, but it was a challenge that I was, I was up to. So I'm going to, uh, I want to throw a few, uh, newer bands at you, newer ska bands and just, uh, curious your take on them or if you're aware of them. Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're, you're really, you're really going to turn the ska scene against me. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> wait before we do that can i just throw a couple old ones and see if you saw them so what one band i I think you might have seen uh up in your area kicked in the head did you ever see them no i don't know i've never seen them never seen them okay okay aaron you go ahead oh that's it <laughs> all right um we are the union oh man it's you 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 want it you want it like i love scott network you cannot you can't, you can't do this to me. I can't do this. <laughs> Why is that? Like, Why I, not? I, I think, I think th I'm not crazy about the vocals. The the vocals kind of hold me back uh, to, to be completely honest. Like they're, they're not, they're not the best. They're, I, and, and not to like, you know, obviously like I appreciate what they do and I fuck with them generally. And I think the, you know, track they did recently with Eve six was very good as well. Um, you know, maybe the next record will do more for me than, the last one, you know, I, I think that like, as far as aesthetics go and the way that they're like promoting themselves and putting themselves out there, they're a lot more sort of like culturally savvy and internet savvy than a lot of the, you know, ska bands of yore have been. So it's like, I think they're, you know, I don't want to like come through here and say like something really negative or dismiss them because I think they're kind of doing wonders in terms of like, um, getting the sound out there and presenting it to new younger listeners in a way that like, you know, looks hip, you know, doesn't look like a fucking ska band from the nineties. You know what I mean? They're like making legitimate true blue ska music, but like they're presenting it in such a way. And, and, and I think like, you know, I, I think like this, the, the classic ska aesthetic is cool and obviously like amazing. And there's like so much great, history behind it but like you know there, there's sort of like a certain uh clean but uh simultaneously edgy kind of essence that i i feel like you know they also capture 
uh, like with the cover art of their new record, for example, you know, you could look at that record and be like, what the fuck is this? A crazy fucking goth rock, like a pastel goth rock record or something, you know, but like, you're kind of surprised with it being, uh, you know, with the skull and the pink shade and everything. But, um, uh, you know, in fact, it is like a, you know, a pretty cool ska record. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not one that I can like praise super heavily because I'm not, I'm not as big of a fan as I would like to, to be, which is something about like my process that, um, I, I put more thought into than I, than I used to now that it's bigger than it's ever been, because, you know, with a lot of, with a lot of artists who are maybe more on the underground side, but I'm appreciating what they do, but maybe I'm not the biggest fan of it. I'll often try to keep tabs on them and wait for that moment where maybe there's a record that I really do love because, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of people that if it's not the most positive review, like they'll write the freaking band off out of the gate when that's like, not obviously like, you know, um, the attitude I would like for someone to have going into a reaction or coming out of a reaction to a review that I've done, because, you know, there are a lot of artists and a lot of records that I, I might feel six out of 10 on six out of 10 on, but that doesn't mean I don't think there's a lot of potential there, mm-hmm. you know, or that mm-hmm. there's like not, uh, uh, you know, probable room for growth there. Um, but you know, a, a lot of people, unfortunately uh, with the internet being as saturated as it is, don't really kind of like have that long view of, of, uh, things, you know, with a lot of artists that have like, you know, career careers, I, I'm not so much invested a lot of the time as to whether or not like, every single record that I review of yours, do I love it? You know, because the thing is, it'll probably just be the next one. Maybe I'll just like the next one more. Um, But yeah, you know, it's a, we are the union. I have heavy uh, uh, respect for, even if I'm not like, you know, the, the the biggest fan of their stuff. I think they're doing great stuff. And I think they're, um, you know, uh, one of the artists out there that's definitely kind of like bringing a new vibe, you know, to the, uh, uh, to the sound and kind of making it, you know, make sense for, uh, the the progressive and aesthetic values of the Zoomer generation. So you um, you said you're down with Scottoon Network. Have you listened to any of Jer's uh, original music? Uh, the stuff that they've uh, you know promoted on uh, on TikTok. Yeah. What do you think of the the solo stuff? The original stuff. Uh, yeah, some of it's pretty cool. You know, I'm not like uh, 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 against it or anything like that. I mean, I you know haven't been sort of like. Uh, blown away by anything that I've heard so far, but I am, um, you know, very impressed, uh, again, with sort of, I guess the, um, the word I'm looking for is, uh, you know, what I, what I love about Jer generally is I guess the industriousness, um, you know, Jer's like so creative and so prolific and, um, just like always is doing something. And also what I love about Jer is that there's no, punches being pulled on much of anything like no matter even if it's something that's going to rub people the wrong way jer's gonna say it and jer's <laughs> you know jer doesn't really give a fuck about pissing anybody off which is you know something i personally feel <laughs> maybe it's a character flaw <laughs> but it's something that i it's something that i personally it's something that i personally identify with like I, I know that that you know in in a lot of contexts that type of person can be kind of uh difficult to deal with, but I, I know, I know at least in my own head, I very much kind of feel that I, I don't give a fuck if I make you mad kind of energy, <laughs> you know, because it's like, I'm going to say how I feel or whatever, you know, I mean, I know this may maybe kind of dorky, but like one of my more memorable Jer moments on TikTok is, uh, uh, when they were, um, 
uh, doing this like amp Pepsi challenge and, and sort of like, you know, feeding uh, guitars through this amp, uh, you know, uh, emulator and mm-hmm. uh, the crowd of people are just like, oh, yeah, that's got to be the real amp because it's real freak. It's real warm. It sounds real like classic. And, you know, Jerry's just like, no, it's just the fucking emulator with the gain turned up idiots. And you know, it's just <laughs> a really, uh, r- really funny um, in, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, I mean, is, is, uh, uh, Maybe, um, you know, even, even if Jer comes off like a little bit like aggro with, uh, uh, the opinion sometimes you can't really say like Jer's coming from a place of, of, uh, ignorance, you know, because Jer, Jer knows their shit, you know, uh, when it comes to ska, when it comes to, you know, instruments and recording and everything like, you know, I, I think Jer has a, a lot of knowledge at, um, you know, their disposal and, uh, 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 is, is just like, you know, really fucking unapologetic about it. I, I think it's kind of badass. Um, uh, what do you think of kill Lincoln? Um, I haven't, haven't heard yet. Okay. Aaron brought up, uh, in your interview with him, uh, bad operation. Did you get a chance to listen to them? Oh, wait, hold on a second. I'm writing down kill Lincoln. Um, Sorry, what, did you say Bad Operation? Yeah, that was the one that Aaron brought up during your interview. Yeah, I did. that was one of the bands that I did listen to, but I can't remember the impression that was left on me. I'll have to revisit. Solid five, right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> didn't hate it, didn't love it. <laughs> uh, have you heard Half Past Two yet? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm going to throw a few. I don't know if you listen to any trad, the new trad bands. I'm going to throw a few at you and see if... Uh, you heard of any uh, Telways? Again, no, probably not. You're you're fucking killing me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what about what about the Frighteners? No, Jesus Christ. Oh, you'd like the Frighteners. <laughs> They're good. All right. We'll just um, have you have you heard? This is kind of more obscure, but have you heard Kmoy? No. God. No. Okay. <laughs> K M O I. Yes. Got it. Is there a dash? Nope. No. No. Okay. Got it. Um, okay, the last one I'll throw at you, um, and you might hear of them more as the year goes on. If you haven't heard them now, is Eichlers? Again, I think I think maybe, but like it did, I, Anklers. I right. no Eichlers. <laughs> Eichlers. It's like um, it's like kind of like the 100 Gex style ska, <laughs> electronic stuff. You know, it it is funny because like since the Gex thing. I have heard more ska influenced hyper pop. I mean, what, what, what do you what do you guys feel about that? Generally, originally I was I was put off by it, but it's grown on me. I think it's uh, I'm I'm into it, and I also I also think that there's a potential for that in the future, like in terms of like what what could actually gain real audiences in this genre. Yeah. So I mean, I mean Eichler's because we're having this interview is uh, mid January. Um, he's gaining like lots of Spotify listeners, like recently, like more than like even Catbite. So that's a little crazy. You said Hanklers? Eichlers. E-I-C-H-L-E-R-S. Got it. So, cause he got put on a few like really, uh, big playlists, I think. Right, Adam? Yeah. He got added to some, the hyper pop, like actual Spotify playlist. And then one other, I just looked up his, uh page and as of today uh 21,209 nice um for somebody without an album that's pretty cool yeah and i think catbite is at what like 13 or 14,000 yeah catbite was at yeah 13 
13,000, yeah. And that's probably the band that's gotten the most attention outside of the ska scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, you know, I I think like a lot of the things that makes them and that record good are just like pretty universal, you know, like the melody lines, the grooves, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter that it's in a ska style uh, because, you know, I mean, to the band's credit, like they did almost like that, they did that country style record. Um, yeah, which was a uh, pretty funny. And, you know, the, the thing is like, if at the core of it, like with no dream and Scott dream, you're working with good songs, you know, and, and you have a knowledge of the style that you're doing them in. Th- those are the most significant things that you can have at your disposal, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, uh, uh I'm not surprised that, uh, um, that, uh, you know, they've gotten, uh, uh, the kind of play that you're talking about. Plus, I mean, it's like, you know, you can't, you you can't understate the the significance even if it you know culturally did end up being sort of a a red herring in in the pop sphere but you know you can't under you can't underplay the significance of a band like no doubt and the fact that like you know th- there's definitely like some um some some parallels there uh in terms of like you know uh, the the type of appeal that catbite can have you know mm-hmm. um yeah you know, if, if, if because uh, uh, for sure, like their songs would play really well with anybody who's my age or older who kind of remembers that sound and remembers that vibe. Um, Definitely, I'm, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there uh, who would uh, who would love to hear that again. So yeah, before we go, I'm I'm really curious what you think, um, or maybe you know, like your roommate Cal, what uh, what his take on ska is. Ska, ska, ska. I think would generally be his his vibe you know it's 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 positive i think it's positive so i i think i think he would mess with it cal cal's coming back in more videos lately so oh that's, that's great that's, that's i think a, a, a positive sign would be great if cal um you know threw down some rhymes over some ska i think that would be awesome like like how much how much ska rap is out there uh it exists plus you know there's uh toasting is like a is a right old exactly. school tradition exactly. so exactly. let's see cal let's hear cal do some toasting Right, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, this interview. What do you think? Did we get a, uh, a decent seven? Ten, ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. Wow. Ten out wow. of ten interview. I think it had it had its it had its highs. It had its lows. It had its uh, the full emotional range. Uh, exciting moments. It's embarrassing moments. It had its con- <laughs> it had its controversy. It had it had history. It had present. And it had the future, it had everything. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. Indefensive Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, 
has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.